Hi, welcome to the U.S. Grace Forest Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. He will be with us very shortly. We're doing something different in this episode. We wanted to share with you a message about the times that we're living in and the importance of really persevering in the battle that we are fighting right now. Father Heilman has a tremendous message for you all. We'll bring that to you again in just a little bit. But I wanted to start by talking about this this something that's in the air for a lot of people called war weariness. Anytime you're in a long drawn out conflict, a long drawn out battle, it's easy to get tired. It's easy to get worn out. People who've been in the pro-life movement for years understand this. When Roe v. Wade came down in 1973, 49 and a half years ago, there were some people who got into the fight with this idea, we're going to turn this around. This has been almost half a century before Roe v. Wade looks like it's going to be overturned. Now, this by no means is the end. This does not mean that we've won the battle. There's still so much that has to happen. But this is a step in the right direction, obviously, very clear step. And we see the retaliation that's already unfolding and the threats and the warning of more retaliation to come when it is actually officially announced at the time I record this near the end of June. But people have gotten tired over the years. A lot of people have gotten very, very tired. And that's very understandable. Now, an enemy that's trying to win a battle understands if I could draw out my opponent into a long conflict and they don't have the energy to endure, they don't have that tenacity, that perseverance, eventually they're going to start making mistakes or they're, going to, they're just going to walk off the battlefield. They're just going to give up. We can't do that. We cannot give up. In Scripture, we're told that those who persevere to the end find salvation. We're not told in Scripture that those who figure it out, those who win all their battles, those who have all the consolation, those who have any consolation, there's nothing about that in Scripture. God does console. He gives us that, that refreshing drink at those times when we feel the harshest, driest desert conditions around. He will do that at times, just enough sometimes to keep us going. But he's trying to draw out something deeper from each of us. He's trying to draw out that something inside, that free will that says, I will not quit. We love that in someone, don't we? We all appreciate the underdog. That's why movies like Rocky have become so famous, so popular over the years, because it's the underdog. No matter how many shots you take, no matter how many times you're punched in the head, no matter how many times you feel kicks to the ribs, you're knocked to the ground, you're stomped on, no matter what it is in life, figurative or literal, we love those who don't give up. They continue to persevere. It is never enough. Never enough to just have the right words at the right time to say what we know is, is that good, pat kind of Christian answer, that Catholic answer. Well, you know, we just, we just trust and keep moving forward. That's true, but it needs to be tested inside. And that's what's been happening for a lot of people. That test inside right now, when we see all the problems in our society, all the struggles, when we see the extreme inflation, baby formula shortages, threats of World War III, we go down the line, all the corruption in all these different areas, in the church, in the government, in the school systems, in the legal system, everywhere we see institutions all around us are losing credibility, collapsing. Where do we put our faith? Where do we put our trust? Are we still praying our rosary, our daily rosary? Or do we get tired and fed up and say, you know what, it's not doing any good. Why even try? That's not what God is trying to draw out of us. We have to think about the great saints, the Elijahs and the Jeremiahs, those who went through those, those incredibly tumultuous moments where they just could not figure out a way to even keep moving forward, it seemed. But they didn't quit. 
one of my favorites is Jeremiah, his interior crisis. When Jeremiah in his interior crisis cries out, Lord, you duped me. You duped me, O Lord. And I let myself be duped. In other words, you tricked me. You were too strong for me. Everywhere I go, I'm the object of derision. Everywhere I go, I'm mocked and ridiculed. And he goes down the line explaining how people are looking for a misstep. They're ready to pounce on him. And he says, I've had it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to preach your name anymore. I'm done. Now, when we read a passage like that, it's easy, I think, to read that passage and just think, oh, here's a great saint, because he is a great saint, the great saint, the prophet Jeremiah. We can read that passage and think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, he's having a bad day, you know, and look at the words. They're very nice. I want you to think for a moment about the attitude and the tone, the tone and manner that must have been in those words as he's crying out to God, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Have you ever had that prayer? Have you ever had those moments where you just want to say to God or you've said to God in prayer, in tears sometimes, or in frustration, even in anger? And hopefully it's not anger at God, but sometimes we even feel that. As long as it's not blasphemous and it's not disrespectful and irreverent, let God know how you feel. It's not as if he doesn't know already. Having those good, really hard conversations like a Jeremiah who cries out, you duped me, Lord. I let myself be duped. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done. And then he says this. But then it becomes like fire burning in my heart. This is one of my favorite passages, always has been. But then it becomes like fire burning in my heart. It is imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I must, he must preach. He must be on that side of the culture of life. He must be on that side of standing up and defending what is good, holy, and true. He cannot keep it in. That's where we need to be. That no matter what's happening, no matter how bad things get, no matter how challenging things are, there's something inside of us that says, I will not quit. I can't quit. There's no other place to go. It's very much like the, the gospel uh, in the gospel of John, the discourse on the bread of life. After Jesus tells all those people, those thousands of people, this is the day after he's fed them, bread and fish. And then he tells them the next day, it's time to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The discourse on the bread of life. And they all walk away. And it's verse 66 of chapter 6. Notice that. Verse 66 of chapter 6. They will not remain with him any longer. Coincidence? I think not. What does Jesus say to his, his disciples right there? The closest ones. What does he say to them? He doesn't say, hey, I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now. Everybody's walking away. They're not getting what I'm trying to say. Maybe we should explain to them that it was a symbol and, and let's have a pizza party and play volleyball. No, he doesn't say anything like that. He turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me as well? In other words, be ready and willing to stand alone, completely alone in the face of all the ridicule, all the mockery, all those who reject God, reject what is good, holy, and true. Are you willing to stand with me? Are you going to leave me as well? And Peter, beautiful words from Peter. Where else are we going to go, Lord? You are the one with the words of eternal life. Do we think for a moment that Peter fully understood what was going on? I doubt Peter's thinking, well, theologically, Lord, what's happening here is, and I understand the ramifications of the circumstances before us. I don't think that probably was the case. Maybe, but I doubt it. We don't get that impression. What Peter says though was, was something that we all need to say, meaning we need to be there in here. And in here, before we can say it, and that is, where else do we go? There's no other place to go. There's no other place. In these very difficult times, and they are difficult, God will reveal. He will reveal. He will give us the strength. He will encourage. He will console where needed. We have to be patient and trust in God's timing on things, though, and that's hard, I know. It's very hard. But I want to encourage you not to give up. 
not to lose heart, not to lose faith, not to lose trust. I say that boldly as if I don't have these, these problems. I don't worry about this. No, I, I struggle like anybody else. I sit on the edge of the bed, literally or figuratively, with my face in my hands sometimes, literally or figuratively. And I, I cry out, Lord, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. Lord, I, where are you? In fact, that's a common prayer of mine. Lord, where are you in all of this? Where are you in all of these things happening in the world? Where are you, Lord? Where are you, Blessed Mother? Where are you, St. Joseph? St. Joseph, who has been given the power to render possible, even things considered impossible. Where are you? Will you step in and, and help rewrite situations so that we can continue to have hope and trust? They will. Our Lady and St. Joseph are faithful. They will. Call on the other saints. Uh, I got my Ireland hat on. Why? St. Patrick. Got a little kindred spirit with St. Patrick. Um, got Irish in me. There's a county in Ireland named after me. Well, I'm probably named after it. It's been around since before. My family was probably around. Barry. It's a Barry County. Call on the family. They've been through it. They understand it. They understand, as St. Patrick did, of course, being enslaved and then working hard for the Lord. How often St. Patrick must have felt overwhelmed as he's trying to to do the work that he's doing, but yet he's, he's enslaved. And then when he gets set free, he comes back to Ireland. I mean, the, the incredible situation that many of our saints have been through. Call on them relentlessly because the enemy of our souls and those in this world that are cooperating with that enemy, they will relentlessly go after us, doing everything possible to draw out the conflict in as much as it will weaken us, in as much as it will cause us to give up hope and not persevere persevere remember those who persevere to the end will find salvation that's what we're called to do persevere just keep fighting that good fight it's easy to say not easy to do remember again the passages of jeremiah and his interior crisis you know a friend of mine years ago we were talking about the struggles you know sometimes you have those conversations hopefully please god you have one two good friends maybe a spiritual director Someone could be anybody in your life that you can have these good, deep conversations with. Where you can actually say to them, I'm really feeling weak right now, this struggle. I'm really struggling with, you know, even exhaustion. God, where are you in these moments? So I'm talking to a friend about this many years ago, probably 15 years ago or so. And he says to me, you know, we need to have these conversations with God. The saints did. The saints did. He said, God's a, God's a big boy. He can handle anything we give him. Anything. He's seen it all before. Now, he meant that with the utmost reverence and respect, of course, to say God's a big boy. What he means is we cannot stun God with our discouragement, with our frustration, with our exhaustion. There's nothing we can throw at God. He's God. So again, persevere. Do not lose hope. In these times when the struggle gets so intense and so hard, remember, God is moving in this world right now. And again, I, I want to say it's never enough to just clock in and clock out or to just say a few prayers here and there. And I say that meaning that to God, it's never enough. God wants to see the heart. He wants to see the heart really engaged. Because when the heart is engaged, it's, 
it directs, animates our lives. It's kind of like it must be like the blood in our veins. Our Catholic faith must flow through our veins like, like blood. And wherever that blood reaches, it brings life. Notice that it doesn't reach hair. Ta-da, right? It doesn't reach hair. Hair's dead. You can cut hair. It, it doesn't bleed. It, it's, it's already dead. It's, at the follicle, it's not, but as it's growing out. You get my point, though? And then when skin cells fall off of our bodies, it's because they're, they're dead. They're, they're dying off. No blood, no life. So wherever our Catholic faith reaches, it's like the blood in our veins. It should animate us. It should move us. It should inspire us. It should, it should really affect every single thing that we think, that we feel, that we do. So God wants that to go deep like blood in the veins. Go back to Jeremiah's words, like fire burning in my heart or imprisoned in my bones. Those two images alone, fire in the heart. We just we think of the sacred heart of Jesus picture and we think of that fire burning and just that incredible intensity in the heart. And then we think of something being imprisoned in the bones and the deepest part of who we are, the marrow of the bone. And this is the this is this incredible these images that, that Jeremiah gives us. Fire active burning or deeply imprisoned in the bone. In other words, it's there. It is ingrained. It is entrenched. It's in the DNA. It's in the DNA. God will reveal, so don't lose hope. God will console when and where necessary. He's not going to leave us out there without being there in some way. The great saints have talked about, Teresa of Avila talks about being a boat on the water and how she would feel, this is back in the 16th century now, St. Teresa of Avila, a doctor of the church and a great mystic, and she would talk about being a boat resting on the water, water's perfectly still, and then a wave would come along and gently lift the boat, carry it for a distance, and then rest it back down, and the wave would move on, and the boat would stay still again. And that little wave would be the Holy Spirit that would come at times just to give enough, enough strength, enough encouragement, enough consolation to keep moving, to keep going forward and do the will of God. Now, the mystery behind all this, I will admit, is baffling as to why God has structured things to, to unfold this way and to have to be this way. We don't know. But it's kind of like saying, God, why did you give me two arms? Why did you, you know, not give me three? If I had three, maybe one growing out of my chest, then I could hold, I could hold my soft drink and my hot dog, and I could applaud by slapping myself in the forehead at a football game or a baseball game. Okay, that's ridiculous. But you get the point. God designed us with two arms, two eyes, two ears, one nose, one mouth. It's just, it's just the way he structured things. And he structured it in such a way that he wants the heart, the mind, the soul to go deep, deep, deep in perseverance that no matter what comes our way we become immovable the words of jeremiah fire burning in my heart imprisoned in my bones i grow weary holding it in i must the words of saint peter where else are we going to go lord you are the one with the words of eternal life and, and this is something that has to flow through our veins like blood so that everywhere it reaches, everywhere it touches, it not only animates us, it brings life. So again, I encourage you, brothers and sisters out there across the board, Catholic, non-Catholic alike, do not lose hope in these times. Do not give up that, that spirit of perseverance. Those who persevere to the end will find salvation. God's looking for, for those holy warriors who will stand the line 
they will hold that line. They will stand that ground for what they know is good, holy, and true. And they will not give up because they know that their source of strength, as we all should, is in God. And our Blessed Mother, of course, and St. Joseph, right back here, they will be faithful. Remember St. Joseph, you who have been given power to render possible even things considered impossible. We ask you, St. Joseph, Blessed Mother, to give us that, that courage, that strength that comes from God, intercede for us, that we do not give up and we never lose hope. We never, ever lay our sword down on the battlefield and walk away because there is far, far too much at stake. I want to say thank you for listening and I'm pass this on to my good friend, Father Richard Heilman, who will share with us a really powerful message again about these times and the need for us to step it up and engage in this battle with everything we've got. God bless and strengthen you. I look forward to talking to you again soon. By now, many of you have heard of the United States Grace Force. As I speak with you today, nearly 80,000 warrior souls have enlisted in the United States Grace Force. Anyone is free to enlist by going to usgraceforce.com. I know it sounds like a branch of the military. I wish it was because I believe the spiritual warfare we fight is the most necessary battle for us to engage. I'd like to share a brief history of the U.S. Grace Force as a way for us to greater understand the battle we face in our times. It was back in 2015 that I used social media to call warrior souls to pray the very powerful 54-day Rosary Novena. The Supreme Court had just redefined marriage for the first time in the history of civilization. And we seem to be witnessing a radical shift of the momentum of America. Sister Lucia of Fatima wrote, the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. I'm among those who believe that the hundred years of Satan began with Our Lady's 1917 warning in Fatima. It was on October 13, 1884, precisely 33 years before the 1917 miracle of the sun by Our Lady of Fatima, that Pope Leo XIII had his vision about Satan given a hundred years to destroy the church. This was when Pope Leo XIII wrote the St. Michael prayer and ordered all to pray it after every low mass. The Latin phrase, modus infine velocior, is commonly used to indicate the faster passing of the time at the end of an historical era. It also means things accelerate toward the end. We realize we were living it through a historical hour, which is not necessarily the end of times, but certainly could be marked as the end of an era. I had written about the significance of the hundred years of since Fatima, which many believed to be the hundred years of Satan. In 2015, Satan had only two years remaining in his hundred years of destruction, and it appeared he was ramping things up with great success. I didn't have it in me to sit on the sidelines and watch Satan winning. It was time to fight back. I chose the very powerful 54-day Rosary Novena. Through social media, nearly 20,000 prayer warriors answered the call and joined in this campaign of spiritual uh, warfare. That following spring, I received a call from someone who is now my good friend. We both knew that we needed to build upon this first 54-day Rosary Novena campaign. 
This person was newly retired from a career in high-level business management and was a highly qualified leader. That day, we both committed to do all we could to rally all of America to stand against the forces of darkness as we gave our spiritual warfare campaign the name Novena for our nation. We knew much was at stake. This was now the critical year of the 2016 election. Our country would stand or fall based on the outcome of that election. We also knew we were facing the Goliath of nearly every influencer in our culture on the side of the godless, radical, secular agenda. At the end of that first phone call, I said, this all resembles the Holy League, the forces who were greatly outnumbered in the Battle of Lepanto in 1571. Then I said, wait a minute, it's April 30th. Do you know whose feast day this is? It's Pope St. Pius V's feast day. This was the Pope who called for the original Holy League and the Battle of Lepanto. This was a time when the Turks saw an opportunity to invade and wipe out Christianity as it was weak and divided at the time. What does that sound like? Of course, it's very much like our times. We were, as the expression goes, ripe for the picking. And radical secularism was throwing everything at us to move in and wipe us out. We took that anniversary of Pius V as a confirmation for what we were about to embark upon. With our new leader and our newly formed amazing leadership team, we set out to ask all who would hear to pray the 54-day Rosary Novena, which we dubbed Novena for Our Nation. We would pray it from August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, until October 7th, the Feast of Our Lady the Rosary, and the anniversary of the Holy League's victory of the Battle of Ponto in 1571. We asked that every, uh, everyone gather in groups all around the nation on October 7th for what we called Rosary Coast to Coast. In the meantime, we planned to gather on the very grounds of our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., to lead the nation in a 3 p.m. rosary coast to coast. While we could hardly believe that evil could become bolder, to our amazement, we discovered that in the run-up to the election, the Arch of Baal was planted in New York City, which is one of the two capitals of Planned Parenthood. This was also the home of the two presidential candidates. As I speak to you, the reading from the Book of Kings appeared yesterday that recounts Elijah's challenge to those Israelites who had abandoned God in favor of their new God, Baal, who they believe brought them power and prosperity, sexual debauchery, and apostasy, which is basically breaking from God and his will for their lives. This was on Mount Carmel. Interesting. Elijah receives his miracle that would persuade many to return to God. We believe we received our own set of miracles in the run-up to the 2016 election and beyond. So in 2016, on August 15th, as we began the Novena for Our Nation, that day, a crippling presidential campaign of the pro-life candidate, who is also pro-Christian, was completely revamped and Kellyanne Conway was, was hired. On October 7th, as we concluded Novena for Our Nation, that day, the damaging emails were leaked. On October 28th, as we concluded a Novena to St. Jude, that day, Comey reopened the Clinton email investigation. 
on November 8, as we concluded in Ovina with the Knights of Columbus, that day, the radical secular pro-death freight train was derailed. And our Constantine, who would allow our nation to once again thrive as one nation under God, was elected. Now, in 2017, which was the centennial year of Fatima, and the year we donned the name United States Grace Force, it was on October 5th, just two days before we concluded Novena for Our Nation, and on the Feast of St. Faustina, the explosion of exposés erupted with Harvey Weinstein. All the exposés led to Hollywood questioning the sexualization and objectification of women, if you can believe that. And then it would be on October 7th, the whole world looked on as a grassroots call for prayer in mostly Catholic Poland grew to one million strong in what was called Rosary on the Border. I wonder where they got that idea. Hmm? Amazing. The whole world knew it was time for prayer. And so here we are uh, the following year. This was an incredible year. It was on August 14th, the day before we began the Novena for Our Nation, and on the feast of our patron for Novena for Our Nation, which is Maximilian Kolbe, news breaks with the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report on the Catholic Church sex abuse. And then on October 6th, the day before we concluded Novena for Our Nation, which was also the first Saturday of the month, Vice President Pence made it official. The Senate voted in favor of Judge Kavanaugh after those demonic hearings. This was precisely at 3 p.m. Central Time, not 2.59, not 3.01. And October 7th, Judge Kavanaugh is sworn in exactly 24 hours to the minute after the announcement that he was to be the next Supreme Court Justice. We gathered that day along with 50 nations around the world, and we prayed the glorious mysteries at 3 p.m. Central Time, together with the nation and the world. But it was on September 29th in 2018, so that's the feast of St. Michael the Archangel, that the battle became very real. Remember how they planted the Archibald in New York City in 2016? Well, here we go. This evil became aggressive, and they planted the Archibald now right on our nation's capital, the other capital of Planned Parenthood in Washington, D.C. The Archibald was unveiled on the National Mall on September 26th, and it remained there until, wait for it, September 29th the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel, and the day we had planned, before we, any, we knew of any planting of Archibald, to start St. Michael Novena together. By sheer coincidence, we would show up one week later to lead the uh, Rosary Coast to Coast with the National Rosary Rally. Now, when they give you sites, it's what's available, and it can be anywhere around uh, the, the nation's mall, the, the grounds of the nation's capital. By coincidence, we landed on the exact same site the Archibald had been planted. Planted like you plant a flag to claim territory. So there we were. And by 
sheer coincidence, a friend who is an exorcist contacts me a week before we're going to get there and says, are you going to be out in Washington, DC? I said, yeah. He says, I'm going to be there too. I'll join you. So we had an exorcist and he did an exorcism of place on that day. Now I brought out bottles of little bottles of epiphany water and blessed salt. Here, I got one right here. I'll show you this size. I brought out hundreds of these. And I, at the end of our rosary that we had together, uh, uh, that, that year, 2018, I turned to everyone who was in attendance. And I said, would you please, if you would each take a bottle or two of each and go around the nation's capital and sprinkle this around. And they were more than willing. In the lead up to all of this, the very popular evangelist, Jonathan Kahn, had been sounding the alarm bells of the Archibald being planted on the grounds of the nation's capital. Jonathan Kahn had written a powerful book entitled The Harbinger. He believes, as do I, that we are living through a template of the days of the Israelites who turned from God to Baal. Now, here's another coincidence. Three days after we were at the nation's mall, I had been asked to go to an awards banquet by the Faith and Freedom Coalition because they wanted to give awards to two people. This is before we ever knew about any Archibald or anything that was going on. The invitations were sent a couple of months prior. And so the two people that were being awarded that night was, I was humbled to be one of them. The other one was Jonathan Kahn. So I show up and there I see him across the room and I walk up, I introduce myself to him and I'm able to tell him that we came in a week later after the arch of ball was planted with an exorcist, did an exorcism and then sprinkled holy water and blessed salt all around the grounds. And of course, prayed the Holy Rosary with the entire nation and the world. So why Baal? Why is this a template for these times right now? Realize that the supreme sacrifice offered to the idol of Baal was live babies. This was in order to gain their freedom of sensual debauchery, power and wealth, and freedom from any constraints from God. Today, live babies are sacrificed through abortion for the same reasons. These are the three wounds that ravage souls and bring spiritual death to them by turning away from God. St. John speaks of these evils when he says, and I quote from Scripture, 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, and lust of the eyes, greedy longings for worldly wants, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from God, but are from the world itself. Close quote. So these three wounds destroy the original harmony we once shared with God and his creation in the garden. The greater one's attachment is to these worldly desires, the more detached one becomes to God's will and God's divine life. My friends, who among us does not know of a loved one who has not submitted to any or all of these three wounds that come from Satan? They're enslaved by Satan. 
and detached from God. As a result, we're seeing order overthrown all around us. It's, we're seeing chaos and division and destruction, violence and rage everywhere. Listen, Satan is throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at us. He no longer bothers to hide. I believe he's in panic mode, as his hundred years have concluded, and he wants to win control once again. So it's time. It's time for us to become unchained from Satan and tied to God. This is why I believe the time has come to counter the three wounds of Satan and embrace what are called the counsels of perfection. These are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Now, you might notice that some monks even take these vows and you'll see them wear a rope around their waist. And then you'll see three knots tied in the rope that's hanging down from their waist. These represent the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Now, we're not called to take the same vows as monks do. But what does it mean for us? So poverty for us means to be poor in spirit. So to be poor in spirit is to realize that nothing we have is worth more than the kingdom of God. Knowing this, we become willing to part with anything if it hinders us from receiving the kingdom. Being poor in spirit does not always mean taking vows of poverty or despising the blessings God has given us. Instead, it's a condition of the heart. The main point is always detachment. It's not whether you have it or whether you don't. It's how you have it. So chastity for us, that's a commitment to purity and fidelity no matter what your state is in life, whether married, single, or consecrated. Many in society treat people like animals and detach the marital act from the reverence it deserves. They accept it and promote it in the wrong context and thus betray its sacredness. Chastity reminds us of the deeper meaning of sexuality. And then obedience. Obedience for us means embracing our call to live as children of God. It actually means the practice of listening. So it's a commitment to listen to God through meditation of sacred scripture and through the teaching of Christ's bride, the church. It is setting the will of God as our highest priority. So if we truly love God, we never want to disappoint him. So we're starting to gear up to get ready for this novena for our nation, August 15th to October 7th. I hope you all can join us. But this year especially, we're going to unchain ourselves from Satan. And we're going to cling to God. We're going to tie ourselves to God. One of the ways that I help remember those counsels of perfection, poverty, chastity, and obedience, is I wear on my wrist what I call a monk cord bracelet. So you can see the three knots are right there. I'm actually making plans right now so please join us out in Washington, D.C. We'll be there out there October 9th. So we always do the Sunday closest to October 7th. We'll be out there October 9th, and you'll hear more about that. But I'm bringing these out for everybody who attends 
and I'm going to have them touched to a relic of the true cross that was actually um, uh, saved uh, during the D-Day invasion. So I call it a D-Day relic of the true cross. The significance of that is amazing. That a lot uh, that allied force that stormed the beaches of Normandy, that I believe at one point, you know, allowed evil to invade until they couldn't take it anymore, and then they united, and they said, "Not under our watch," and they got out of those boats, and they got on that beach, even though they knew that there was probably a ninety percent chance they would not survive it. Yet they went anyway. Are we willing? to step forward, to step out, to get on the battlefield, detached or unchained from, from Satan, but attached once again to God. Poverty. Nothing's more important than you, God. Chastity. Yes, I want to be pure. Obedience. I am a child of God. I want to follow the, whole, the house rules. I want to do your will above anything else, Abba, Father. And so, my brothers and sisters, this is our time. It's time to recover surrendered ground. It's time to take back what Satan has taken, especially as he's taken the souls of our loved ones. It starts with us. We need to become detached, unchained from Satan, so that we could be that light, that love, that peace, that intoxicating uh, spirit that will draw others to him as well. I want to thank you all for letting me talk. Uh, and I want to thank you all for your commitment, for your dedication, for your love for God, and your willingness to get up on the battlefield. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.